0: So, go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 44. Last week, you'll remember that Joseph's brothers, they left Canaan. They left with their father's consent. Uh, They left with uh, Benjamin in tow. He's in the party. They're heading back down to Egypt. They're going down to Egypt to get their family some food so they will not perish. I mean, that's how severe this famine is. They're afraid they're going to die. And this is the second time they go down to uh, Egypt to get food in our chapter. And we don't want to forget, you know, just kind of the context of this chapter is just uh, how, you know, uh, Jacob, how he struggled. He's, he just wrestled with the idea whether or not to send Benjamin down with his older brothers. I mean, I think he suspects you know, some he even says, uh, well, in the King James, it says mischief. But uh, in this chapter, it says, should something befall him? You know, uh, it seems like he's a little bit of suspicious of the older brothers. Uh, and, you know, what happened to Joseph and Jacob? He doesn't want to put Benjamin in a situation where later on, he's just going to regret it, never be able to forgive himself for it. But he lets him go. And as the boys go down to Egypt, they come before Joseph, whom they still don't recognize. And Joseph invites them. Uh, last, last week, he invited them to have lunch with him at, at their house. Joseph allows uh, Simeon to join them. They release him from jail so he can join them. And, and we, we don't want to forget that point either. Simeon's been in jail. I mean, he's been in jail. All the time it's taken Jacob and the boys to eat through the provisions they got from that first trip. And, uh, you know, they come back another three-week journey. It's a six-week journey round trip, plus eating through the provisions. Simeon's been in jail a long time. And to the brothers, very great surprise. And I'm sure that's probably an understatement. But to their very great surprise, Joseph set them down to have lunch with him in their birth order. And we mentioned last week that the odds of that happening uh, was tremendous. And if, and if Joseph, and, and I tend to think Joseph probably did, he had an empty seat in that birth order where he would be. And the odds of getting um, all 12 brothers and an empty seat in order is one chance in 40 million if you just tried to do it one time at random but as they're having lunch in Joseph's palace he gives Benjamin five times the meal that he gave the other brothers and he did that in order to see if there was any jealousy I mean he's trying to provoke these guys are they jealous towards his brother Benjamin like they were towards him when he was younger but you know what it was it was good news they didn't even blink I mean there was not even the slightest bit of jealousy uh registered on their face 22 years earlier these guys were so jealous and they hated Joseph so much right for their father's favoritism on him that they were willing to murder him that's how much they hated him Joseph is realizing when they don't see any jealousy in regards to Benjamin and the favoritism that's uh, bestowed upon him, Joseph is realizing that his brothers have changed. God has done a work in their hearts and in their character over the past 22 years. Uh, Joseph still has a couple of big things on his mind though at this point. Everything that Joseph is doing is not just to get back at the brothers. He's testing them. And there are two things that he's looking for in his brothers' lives. He's looking to see if these things will appear as Joseph puts his brothers through their paces, as he kind of turns up the heat a little bit, putting them in some difficult circumstances. Uh, the first thing he's looking for is how do they treat Benjamin? Right, do they treat him like an outcast? Do they treat him the same way they treated Joseph 22 years ago? Or do they treat him as a member of the family as just another one of the brothers? And then the second thing that he's looking for is what is their attitude towards their father? These are the things that he's looking for to see as again as he cranks up the heat a little bit on his brothers. And what he's seen so far not too bad. I mean, it's actually pretty good. So far, it appears that his brothers have actually experienced this change of heart. Now, in Genesis 44, Joseph, he's going to put his brothers through the final test to see if, in fact, the brothers have truly experienced the change in their hearts, a change in their lives, or, and a change in their character. So verse 1, we read, And he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. So again, Joseph instructs his uh, steward. He he tells him to put as much food in the sack as it can possibly hold hold, right? It's not the normal ration. It's not the normal distribution for somebody that would have come down to purchase grain, right? They're to put as much as they can carry, as much as their sacks can carry, as much as their animals can carry. And he instructs his steward to put their money back in their sacks, in the mouth of their sacks again, like he did last time. In verse 2, he says, also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph spoken had spoken. So this silver cup we're going to see in just a few minutes. It's, it's called Joseph's cup of divination. Back in those days, the higher officials in Egypt and the rest of the world, uh, they had all kinds of crazy ways where they would Uh, try to divine God's will in a situation. Try to, you know, discover the leading of God or a revelation of God. Sometimes, you know, when one kingdom would seek to conquer another kingdom, what they would do is they would sacrifice an animal and cut its liver open. And I don't know what they're looking for, but they would see something and make some kind of decision. You know, the Chinese would um, read tea leaves back in the day you know lovers maybe you did this you know would try to find out if she or he loved us with a daisy she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me not in regards to the divination cup they would take a cup you know made of some type of precious metal in this case it was silver and they would uh, fill it with some type of liquid then they would put oil or some seeds in it something that would produce some type of pattern. And then somebody who knew what they were doing, we call them shysters, uh, would swirl the liquid in the cup and they would tell you the will of God. And so that's the cup that's being placed in Benjamin's sack of grain. Verse three, as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. Uh, Put yourself now in the place of the brothers for a minute. I mean, Simeon, he's been stuck in Egypt until they come down. He's been in jail until they, they've arrived. And, and uh, the, they finally come down with Benjamin uh, to get some more grain. And hopefully, they're, they're, they're hoping that they're going to be able to spring Simeon from jail. They want to bust him out. And in their minds, the man down there is completely irrational. He's not making any sense. They've accused him or uh, he's accused them of a capital crime. Uh, He's accused them of being spies and nothing seems to make sense. It just seems like the man is looking for any excuse to mess with us. That's probably what the brothers are thinking. But the boys, they have to go down to Egypt to get some more food or they're all going to die. So they go back down there to get the food and miraculously... When they're leaving Egypt, their sacks are full of grain. And not just full, but they're loaded down with grain. I mean, they're probably got a little grain trail behind them as they're going back to Canaan. They have so much more than they had even imagined possible. More than what they ever expected. And Simeon is with them. And they're headed back to Canaan. They don't have a care in the world, right? Everything went better than it possibly could have. They've ever hoped it could have been. And they're thinking, sweet, sweet. We're going home. You know, we're getting away from the man. And uh, praise the Lord. God is so good. Great to have you back, Simeon. In verse 4, when they had gone out of the city and were not far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. When you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Why did you guys steal the cup? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks? And, and uh, with which he indeed practices divina- divination. You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them in these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. They're they're saying, what? You're accusing us of being thieves? Why on earth would we do that? We're honest men. Verse 8, they say, look. We brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from my Lord's house? You know, now the brothers, they're so confident of their innocence, right? They say, each of us are men of character. We brought back the money we found in our sacks the first time. You can't possibly be serious. We would never steal anything. So they say, verse 9, with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will become my Lord's slaves. That seems like a pretty, pretty bold statement. I mean, uh, they say you can search our stuff if you find the cup and any of our things, you can kill that one on the spot, and the rest of us, you can take us as your slaves. That's how confident these guys were that, you know what, they were innocent of this crime. They were not guilty. Now, Joseph's steward, though, on the other hand, he knows. He knows. He asked, they have the cup because he placed it in Benjamin's sack, right? So, verse 10, the steward said, now, also let it be according to your words. He with whom is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. The steward changes the arrangement here. He says, I'm not interested in killing anybody today. I just want to find out who the guilty party is and he will become our slave and the rest of you are free. You can go about your business and uh, we'll just take that one guilty party back to Egypt. And verse 11 Then each man speedily let down a sack on the ground. Each opened a sack. They dropped their sacks really fast. They're going to prove to this guy, you know, that they have, they don't have anything to do with that missing cup. They're going to prove to this guy their innocence. You know, won't you feel silly when you find out how wrong you really are? That's probably what they're thinking. You know, we're the good guys in the story. And verse 12, so the steward, he searched, he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. He starts with Reuben and goes through his things. And as he starts with Reuben, we're told that he goes from the oldest to the youngest. I mean, he's probably doing it slowly, deliberately. He's allowing the tension to build the suspense, right, as he goes through the sack of each of the brothers. But I bet you it's not mentioned here, but I bet you the brothers shortly after this comment, search our stuff. The one you find guilty, kill him and the rest of us will be your slaves. I imagine shortly after they let down their sacks, these boys began to sweat bullets, right, because as they dropped their sacks, their money is found in the mouth of the sacks. And each one of their sacks had the money that they brought to buy food. And when they saw that, I imagine their hearts probably sank again, like, oh no, not again. You know? But the steward, he doesn't say anything about the money. Right? Maybe he just, you know, looks over at each one of the boys with kind of a sure, honest man, right kind of look you know, and again, uh, this must have really freaked these guys out, because they're all mixed up now, they're just standing around, and he goes to the oldest, then the next oldest, the next oldest, he searches each of their sacks, making no mention of the money, he goes to Reuben's sack, no cup, he goes to Simeon's sack, no cup, Levi's sack, no cup, judah's sack no cup all the time he's not making any any mention about the money as the steward goes through their sacks one by one and he doesn't find the cup i'm sure the boys the, the brothers began to grow in their confidence that he would find nothing and as he heads towards benjamin's sack i imagine the 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 brothers probably say something like listen man if we didn't steal the cup for sure, the kid didn't steal the cup. You're wasting your time. But as he begins to go through Benjamin's sack, you know, they probably got this, I told you you were wasting your time kind of comment, just ready to fly. And uh, when, he, when he doesn't find the cup, but the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. You know what? Again, put yourself in their shoes. They've had so much problems down here in Egypt. And, you know, just the horror that would just fall on them in that moment. You know, I'm sure words can't explain, uh, you know, uh, how they felt. But I bet you it was just in an instant, in an instant, they went from absolute confidence to just the depth of despair. You know, I imagine that there was just this spontaneous groan from the brothers like, oh no. And verse 13 says, then they tore their clothes. Tearing your clothes was an expression of mourning. It was a sign of tremendous grief. It was uh, intended to communicate that the news that you just heard, the events that just happened, uh, it was like being stabbed in the heart right? It just tore your heart in two. And you didn't, people didn't just go around tearing their clothes back in in this day because, you know, people didn't have a full closet of clothes back then. Clothes were expensive. And so unless you were uh, wealthy, whatever you were wearing was probably the extent of your wardrobe. If you're wealthy, you might have had two or three changes of clothes. But most people back in this time didn't have that. And it says um, there in the remainder of verse 13, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. The steward had just told them, the one with whom the cup is found, that one would become my servant. And the rest of you guys can clear out, right? They had a chance to say, Benjamin, man, we thought better of you, brother. We thought you were a good guy. Man, you shouldn't have stolen that cup. Dad is going to be so disappointed when we tell you, uh, tell him what happened. But hey, man, I mean, it serves you right. Crime doesn't pay. See, I wouldn't want to be uh, whatever they might have said in Hebrew back then. But they don't do that. These guys have really changed. They've really changed. All of them load up their stuff. And they return with the steward and Benjamin to the city. And it says in verse 14, so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him on the ground. All 11 of the brothers bowed down before Joseph with their faces to the ground. The dream that God gave to Joseph keeps getting confirmed. It keeps getting confirmed over and over and over again in the account of this story. And you know what? it's as if I'm going to go out on a limb here. Okay. It's as if God wants to communicate something to Joseph, but it's recorded because he wants to communicate something to us. He wants to communicate something to all of us here tonight. And that's this God's word, God's promises to you are sure. You may not see it now. You may not realize uh, those promises for some time, but his word, his promises will come to pass in each of our lives. That's the truth of it. You can bank on it. God will never fail us. God will never fail us. He will never fail you. And verse 15 says, and Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? And the brothers, I'm sure by this time, uh, they must think that, that uh, Joseph really has some kind of divining power. I mean, after sitting them all down in their birth order, after chasing after them for this cup, right? I mean, Joseph is probably says to them, what on earth were you guys thinking you guys can't fool me. I talk to God. He's keeping this charade going. Now, we, we shouldn't think, and I don't want you to think, that Joseph practices some sort of divination in the way the pagans did. He didn't do it for a couple of reasons. One, he wouldn't do it because of his relationship with God. Two, he wouldn't do it because there's no need, there's no reason to do it, right? God's talking to Joseph all the time, it seems, telling him what's gonna take place in the future through dreams and uh, what have you. He certainly didn't need to resort to some uh, pagan method in an attempt to hear from God. This is all part of the plan of Joseph, though, to gain information that he's looking for in regards to his brothers, whether or not there's been a change in their heart. In verse 16, Then Judah said, What shall my Lord say? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found the brothers were innocent of the sin of stealing the cup, but they know that they're guilty of a far greater sin. And that's what they're talking about here. That's what Judah's talking about. And again, it's just the weight of unconfessed sin in a person's life, how it just creates this overwhelming sense of guilt deep down in a person's heart. And Judah... He's talking again about the sin that they committed against Joseph. Man, just that's the unconfessed sin in their their life. The way they allowed their father to just go through, uh, you know, the grief and not say, hey, dad, no, you know what? Uh, It didn't even bother them. They were so callous how they sold Joseph into slavery and just watched them crying on the way out of their sight all the way. Judah is basically saying here that what we've sown that is what we're reaping he's confessing right now that he and his brothers are sinners and he's confessing that what happened to them right now what's happening to them is exactly what they deserve and Joseph hears this and now he knows right? Without a shadow of a doubt that there's been this deep, deep change in the character of his brothers. In Joseph's eyes, these guys have passed the test because they would not abandon Benjamin. They would not abandon uh, their brother when they had a chance to just get away scot-free, right? They were willing to give all of their lives into servitude to Joseph at this point in order that they would not be separated from their younger brother it was just what joseph was hoping for you know the change he was looking for in verse 17 he said far be it for me that i should do so the man in whose hand the cup was found he shall be my slave and as for you go up to your father in peace he's just giving them another chance he says no you guys are free to go go up to your father in peace, as if they could go in peace to their father Jacob without Benjamin. But again, he's just putting them to the test. He's seeing what they, they're made of. He gives them every opportunity to leave their brother, but they won't do it. And now we're going to see Judah stand up and make one of the most beautiful intercessions found in the entire Bible. Judah, verse 18, came near to him and said, now Judah is speaking through an interpreter, but of course Joseph understands everything that Judah is saying. He says, oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants. Jude is now going to recount uh, the history to Joseph now. He says, you asked uh, your servants saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age who is young, his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. And as Joseph is hearing this, I mean, I can just imagine, right, what he must be feeling at this moment. I mean, Joseph's heart must just be breaking for his brothers. He's already had to restrain himself and run away and hide in last chapter. And here, you know, hearing this, his heart is just probably is breaking but he's holding it together and judah continues he says then you said to your servants bring him down to me that i may set my eyes on him and we said to my lord the lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father his father would die if anything would happen to this kid it would mean the death of our dad verse 23 but you said to your servant unless your younger brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. I mean, this is so interesting, just kind of as a side note, we take a little break right here. I didn't mention it previously. Remember uh, when Benjamin was born? Remember uh, what his mother wanted to name him? Remember? Ben-Oni, right? son of sorrows. And the reason why she wanted to name him that is because she died in childbirth. It was just a tremendous labor. She died in childbirth. And it was at that point that Jacob steps in and says, no, his name will not be Benoni, son of sorrow. His name's going to be Benjamin, son of my right hand. Right? Remember, we made mention when we looked at uh, Benjamin, when he was named we made mention that he was a picture of Jesus in that Jesus was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53.3. Jesus is the son of sorrows because he bore our sins. He bore the sins of the world. You know, he's a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. But after he died, he was resurrected. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the son of God, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven, uh, Hebrews 8.1. He's the son of God's right hand. It's a picture. Again, Benjamin is a picture of Jesus. And that's why he had the cup. He had the silver cup, right? Well, why? What are you talking about, Gare? Silver in the Bible is the metal that speaks of redemption, Remember in the garden, Jesus prayed, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, right? What cup is Jesus talking about? It's the cup of redemption, the cup of suffering that he would go through that would bring redemption to the world. And isn't it interesting that Joseph said, unless your brother Benjamin, the son of the Father's right hand comes down; you shall not see My face. Right? If Jesus had not come down, we would never be able to see the face of our Father in heaven. Man, I just find these kind of things so interesting. We would, we would be unable to have a relationship with the King of all creation, with God Almighty, unless Jesus had come down. Where did Jesus? Where did Benjamin? need to come down to? To Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world in biblical typology. Jesus had to come down to the world in order that we might be saved, in order that we might see the face of God the Father, in order that we might dine with him. And it just blows me away. To me, these kind of things are so Uh, beautiful, just to understand that the Holy Spirit has woven these things into the Old Testament scriptures so that we could find them, so that we could discover them. Anyway, Judah, he continues his intercession, verse 24. He says, so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is is with us, then we will go down, for we will not see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. Now, you want to remember that Joseph is looking to determine, you know, what the brother's attitude is towards uh, their father right? And verse 28 says, and the one went out from me and I, sure, I said, surely he is torn in pieces and I have not seen him since. And Joseph hears this, something big happens inside of him because this is the first indication, the first time that Joseph hears that the father thinks he's dead, right? Joseph is probably wondering for the past 22 years, How could I disappear and my father not try to find me? What's going on there? Why is it that no one ever tried to to find me, to rescue me? What could my dad, uh, you know, what could keep my dad from trying to find me for the past 22 years? And now Joseph hears that his father thinks that he's dead. And that's the reason his father never attempted to find him. You know, it's very important news to Joseph. Some very important questions are being answered here for for Joseph. And at this time, Joseph, man, he's got to be breaking inside. I mean, I don't know how he's just able to hold it all together. And verse 29 says, but if you take this one also from me, Joseph, uh, Jacob is speaking. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, You shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. And what Judah is saying to Joseph here, or to Zaphna, as they know him, Judah is saying, if we were to return to our father without this boy, it would literally kill, it would literally kill our dad. Our dad wouldn't be able to handle it. He would die. And you would have a part in his death. Verse 30, Now therefore, when I come to your servant your father and the lad is not with us since his life is bound up in the lad in the lad's life the father's life is bound up in whose life the son's life the son's life is bound up in the father's life Man, what a picture that is i mean we don't have the time to explore that but i encourage you dig dig that nugget out search the scriptures and see how the father's life is bound up in the son's life. And the son's life is bound up in the father. And see what you might find there. Verse 31, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your uh, servant, our father, with, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Therefore, please let your servant, this is Judah speaking, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. I mean, this is just such a beautiful uh, intercessory prayer from the heart of Judah directed to Joseph. And Judah shows us a couple of things here. First, he reveals this deep affection and love for his father. You know, I can't let my dad go through the pain and grief of losing another son, of losing Benjamin. It would simply just kill him. Secondly, it reveals, Judah reveals to us, he shows us his deep loyalty to Benjamin. He says that he won't allow Benjamin to go through this, to go through staying here in Egypt and being a slave. And Joseph is convinced at this point that God has done a mighty work in his brothers and that they are, in fact, changed men. Through the testing of Joseph, there's just this beautiful evidence which is revealed that the hearts of Joseph's brothers have really changed, right? First, uh, from last week, they didn't resent it when Benjamin received five times uh, the, the provision as the favored son. They stuck together this week when the silver cup was found in Benjamin's sack instead of abandoning him. They were willing to humble themselves for the sake of the favored son by bowing at the feet of Joseph. They knew their current situation was a result of their sin against Joseph. And they offered themselves as slaves to Egypt in order not to abandon Benjamin, the favored son. They showed deep concern for how this might affect their father. And Judah was willing to be a substitutionary sacrifice for his brother out of love for his father and out of his brethren. And you know... It just makes me think, even now, through the testing of Joseph, I said that there was beautiful evidence which revealed the heart of Joseph's brother has really changed. And you know what? When trials and tribulations come into our test, into our lives to test us, you know, that's when that heart change of, of giving our life to Christ and walking with him through many years that's where that is also revealed. It's through those trials. It's through those temptations. It's through those struggles. In those times, are you going to cling to the Lord? Are you going to abandon Him? You know, it's just such a beautiful picture of all the things uh, that these boys went through to reveal that, that evidence of a changed heart and changed life. In this chapter... We're going to go a little, not very much longer. Uh, in this chapter, we also see Judah as a type of Christ. Okay. And it's interesting. Jesus is from what tribe? Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. Yeah. Who said that? Good job. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. And Judah makes this heartfelt intercession for his brother. And it's this picture of how Jesus intercedes for us. Romans 3.34 says, Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says in regards to Jesus as our faithful high priest, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost. It was Billy Sunday that would say he was able to save to the guttermost right? He's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. I mean, he lives forever, I think is the way the New Living Translation puts it. He lives forever to make intercession for us. Judah offers himself, he offers to lay down his life for the sake of Benjamin. It's just such a beautiful display of sacrificial love, right? It's a picture of the depth of Jesus's love that he has for us. John 15, 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And it's an amazing demonstration of the love Judah exhibits towards his brother, that he would be willing to lay down his life for him. Judah was willing to be the substitutionary sacrifice out of love for his father and out of love for his brethren. However, Judah's love for Benjamin, I mean, it just pales in the light of Christ's love for the Father and his love for us. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, speaking of Jesus the Messiah, we read, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed and he went through all of that for us all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord jehovah god has laid on him the iniquity of us all jesus said matthew 20:28 20, just as the son did not come to be uh, to serve uh, did, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Also John fifteen, uh, John 10, 15. As a father knows me, even so I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 2 Corinthians five twenty four. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. It was a him for me trade. substitution, uh, Substitutionary sacrifice. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. I don't think that we'll ever fully understand the depth of the love of Jesus that he has for us. And you know, I'll tell you the truth. I'm really happy. Uh, as a church, we take communion every week. That it's available to take any every week. And I know that when I started doing it every week, you know, I, I heard some complaints. I heard some questions. You know, why every single week? You know, my my nature is just like well, how often's too often, right? How often's too often? My heart is that we would be constantly reminded. Hopefully growing in our understanding of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, you know, to grow in our understanding of the love that Jesus has for us and has for us individually. I pray that every week we would celebrate through communion, through worship, through the Bible study, every week that we would celebrate what he's done for us. Remember that sacrifice. It's the greatest love story ever told. Jesus leaving the fellowship of the Father, leaving heaven, coming to earth, right? I mean, we can't wait to get away from this place. And he came to it, that uh, he became a man and he came, to give his life that we might be saved. Well, real quick, let's just take a minute to go on. I don't want to leave it there where... Uh, Leave it hanging, you know, cliffhanger. Look at uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood before him. And he cried out. Joseph just breaks down here at this point. He can't hold it back any longer. And he just starts crying. And Joseph made everyone get out from me. Joseph tells his servants, his attendants, any uh, security forces that may have been with him. He tells him to get out, leave the house. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. You know, and I'm not sure exactly what this verse is saying. I don't know if Pharaoh and the Egyptians of his house heard about Joseph crying or if Joseph is crying and wailing so loudly that Pharaoh and the servants of Pharaoh's house actually hear him crying. And I tend to think that it was Joseph crying uncontrollably just crying so loudly, just overwhelmed. Judah's intercessory prayer touched his heart. Judah confessed his sins. He he confessed expressed the concern he had for his brother. How Much he deeply cares for his father. And that prayer touched uh, Joseph's heart. And you know, it's a good lesson for us. You want to know what kind of prayer touches the heart of our Lord, touches the heart of your Lord? Man, the prayer where we confess our sins, we confess our shortcomings, we confess our failures to Him, we ask for forgiveness. We express our concern for our brothers. We lift those up, uh, those people around us, our brothers and sisters, and just uh, people that don't know the Lord, we lift them up to the Lord. When we pray for people, it blesses God's heart. When we extend ourselves to people, it touches God's heart. When we declare our love for the Father, you know what, that we declare that the Father is our chief joy, in this life i mean when we pour out our heart to the father proclaiming our love for him that's what blesses god that's exactly what the prayer that touches the lord looks like and just in closing maybe you know you're watching online uh you know maybe you're here you're a christian you've just been struggling you know like i like i confessed before we started tonight you know what Tina and I were driving up here, and you know what? We get in an argument. And it's just, ah, man, I'm such a failure. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I love you. I love my wife. Lord, help me not to, to be that type of man. I wanna bring glory to your name. I mean, if you're a Christian, and you're struggling, run to the Lord be real. He sees it anyway. You know, it's not like I come here, I hide that argument from you guys. You guys don't see this other than, you know, a sour look on my face. You don't know what's going on in my heart. But God sees it. And we need to be real and transparent before the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, if you're watching and you don't know the Lord, if you've never confessed your sins and asked Jesus to come into your heart, you know what? That's the first step. Is confessing your sins, agreeing with God that you have sinned, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that Christ is risen from the dead, right? And if you'll turn from your sins and turn to God with the sincerity of your heart, and that's the evidence of that sincerity, turning from your sin. If you'll do that, the Lord will meet you and save you and and cleanse you. I want you guys come on up and, and we'll pray. Father God, I just, again, thankful for your word. Thankful for, Lord, all that you have for us in the word, all that you want to reveal to us in the word. And Lord, just the depth of love that we can find there in the word. Lord, we want to give you praise. We want to give you glory. Lord, for anybody that may be watching that doesn't know you, Lord, would you be moving on their heart right now? Would you give them the courage to cry out to you, to ask you for forgiveness, to surrender their life to you so that you can come into their life, forgive them of their sins, cleanse them from their wrongdoing, and make them a new creation. Lord, would you do that even now as we pray, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.